Hello everybody, welcome back to the Depths of Music Podcast. My name is Nick, and today we are taking a look at Red, parentheses, Taylor's version by Taylor Swift. So, Taylor Swift is an artist I feel like needs no introductions. One of, if not the most dominant pop star of the last God knows how many years. Taylor Swift has dropped hit after hit after hit and has fundamentally changed the music landscape. She started off as a country star before slowly morphing her way into a full pop icon. Taylor has traveled a large musical spectrum over the years country to pop now back to folk with her two most recent records that are not taylor's versions but we'll get to that later still over a decade after the world was first introduced to taylor i'd argue that her career is now more influential than ever critics have not always been kind to taylor her long battle with celebrity life is one of the most documented aspects of her career she was dismissed as a vapid and depthless pop star for the longest time Eventually, however, that attitude in the general public and in the eyes of the critics began to change towards Miss Swift. As a music fan, I noticed this shift in perception in 2020. The documentary Miss Americana, released on Netflix in 2020, showed the world a human side to Taylor Swift, a side that has always existed, but a side that many in the general public had never really engaged with. This rode the way of exposing how gross the music press treats its female pop stars after the controversy around Britney Spears. Taylor's love life being blown out of proportion and being ridiculed by the world was pretty messed up and it was only now that the world began to actually see it that way. On the musical end of things, Taylor Swift released Folklore, a departure from 2019's Lover and her earlier work and more moving into a folk direction as the title suggests lover was a full-blown pop record this was about as far away from that as you can get the album received gigantic critical acclaim even winning album of the year of the year at the grammys that year it was a remarkable album for me considering that lover flew over my radar and i kind of counted taylor out for this decade she she had everything she wanted so i guess i was surprised to see her return this rejuvenated still though taylor was not done she released a similar follow-up kind of like a sequel uh, titled evermore later to more acclaim another record that i felt really worked while being a sister record to folklore there are still some great highlights on evermore that make it just more than a collection of b-sides still under the surface swift's life was going through hell she had been fighting with her old label since 2019 for the rights to her original masters. She had been unsuccessful to negotiate a fair price to buy this back catalog back. And the label that Taylor was under, Big Machine Records, was bought and sold to a new owner who, according to Swift, would not be fair with her. Taylor did not know own any of the original recordings to any of her albums, I believe, since Lover in 2019, which is... You know, she owns, at that point, three albums of her, like, I think she has, like, eight or nine at this point. So, that's, like, pretty much most of her discography she does not own. And she can't get it back. So, as a way to counteract this, Taylor decided to make the bold move to re-record her entire back catalog and create old, and create new, updated versions of her old records. It was a more bold move that took the music world by storm no one had really done this before and once again taylor was breaking new ground no one really had like we've seen remasters like audio remasters of records but nobody had just straight up re-recorded a whole album 
it was something that really seems like a simple concept and it is but was just such a groundbreaking kind of occurrence that it really it caught me off guard it caught a lot of people off guard and it got the world talking about taylor swift as if they hadn't been already she started this Taylor's version series, as she called it, with Fearless back in the beginning of 2021. Fearless, her sophomore record from 2008, was the first of these series to get released. The new version performed very well upon success, and it was proved that Taylor, in the eyes of the critics, the eyes of her fans, the eyes of the general public, had a recipe for success. As somebody who never experienced Fearless before the new version, I thought Taylor's version was incredible. All of the old classics and From the Vault songs added with that added flair of vocal maturity and modern production made it the definitive version of Fearless. I don't see there much to be a reason to go back to the original. It was so impressive that while it like was a new record, it was a new record with a lot of new production elements it was a record with you know there's a lot changed but it still maintained the original spirit even all the lyrics were exactly the same so the way that she was able to toe that line so perfectly and not go back into like remaking the entire album and then completely changing it the way that she was able to toe that line so elegantly is extremely impressive so this led me to many and many others to anticipate what new version she had coming up next or what she had next she soon pretty after uh the release of fearless announced that for fall for the end of the year that her next release would be a taylor's version of 2012's red red is the album cycle that made me familiar with taylor swift even before i really knew what albums were I remember seeing Red CD in like Walmarts and Targets when I was like eight or nine or whenever, however old I was at the time. I feel like that's true for a lot of people, especially my age. Taylor begins to leave her countryside on Red in, in favor of the pop direction she'll embrace on records like 1989. In fact, this is the record where the first songs that like I remember hearing from Taylor Swift are up here this is the first ones i remember red is going to be an interesting album to see swift remaster considering this is the furthest she strays from the sounds of folklore since it dropped you know fearless is a more of a just straightforward country record folklore and evermore also very folky so there's some pop aspects that taylor's going to have to wrestle with on red and seeing how she applies this in 2021 kind of will be an interesting barometer of where her head's at with that stuff these days. Red feels much more like a pop album than folklore, so the changes are going to be the first things I'm looking at going in. How does she wrestle with the pop elements of Red? And before we dive into track by track, a new review of Red, what exactly are we working with on the original? Well, Red, to me, the original from 2012, reads as a transition album. It's very scattered sonically while being very consistent lyrically. Taylor's cries of love lost are very clear on Red, and her classic songwriting skills are on full display here. She's very clearly stepping into maturity, 
pushed on by her rising status as a celebrity. Sonically, it's a kind of all-over-the-place record. Songs like 22, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, Red, and I Knew You Were Trouble show the heavy lean on the new pop direction that Taylor would fully morph into on 1989. At this point, the sonic tones clash a bit as we dive into some more of the deep cuts where Taylor gets back more into her countryside. I'm interested to see how Taylor interprets these conflicting styles as the record Red's biggest issue going in is that inconsistency. Lyrically, Red is the album of highs and lows of a crazy relationship. I would be remiss to mention that that X is Jake Gyllenhaal, a well-known Hollywood actor I and many other people know as Mysterio from Spider-Man Far From Home and bunch of other movies and there has definitely been a flurry of hatred towards jake for the details described in their relationship by swift on this new record i mean i i kid you this is a true story there is a there is a white there's whiteboards all over my english class and there is a board where where people have written comically mean messages about jake gyllenhaal which I don't know how you can spell Gyllenhaal that many times. It was it was really hard for me to do just the one time in the script. But, yeah, people, people got some thoughts about this record. People were very attached to this record, which really kind of shows how well, even so many years later, Red is beginning to resonate with people. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of my way on that. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Wanted to get out of the way of that first because we'll probably talk about it again. But just like the drama about Olivia Rodrigo's Sour, I'm more concerned about what I'm relearning on the relationship on the record. So I've mostly been avoiding the actual drama around Jake Gyllenhaal and Taylor Swift or the real details of their relationship. I'm fully basing it on what we hear on Wax and talking about Taylor's storytelling abilities in that context. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, for Taylor's take on Red in 2021, we have the entire 16-track original, an additional 14 tracks that did not make the original cut of Red, including a 10-minute version of All Too Well. To be clear, this is a review of the full product of Taylor's version of Red, even though lots of the same from the 2012 release, mainly lyrics, I'm going to be taking a look into all of it. This is a review of everything. Just because the lyrics are the same does not mean I'm not looking at them again. And I've never reviewed Red, so you can apply a lot to what I say to the original, despite this brief overview I did beforehand. But anyways, we got 30 tracks, so let's just get into it. Number one, uh, starting with the opening track, State of Grace. Uh, the changes that Taylor has made to Red has become obvious. Her vocals here are beautifully smooth, including the thudding drums and the crisp guitars that perfectly complement the song. I love how the song builds and gets uh, like higher and higher and higher as we get more prominent use of the bass, the second guitar, and the background vocals in the second leg. Taylor flawlessly harmonizes with herself, and she sings with a lot of an emotion. The pure emotion conveyed in the music of Taylor Swift, I think, is one of her strongest features, and Red smartly puts a lot of focus on that. State of Grace focuses on moments of pure bliss in an otherwise complicated relationships, and how these moments are worth treasuring. It begins the very love-centric theme of Red, and kind of gets us acclimated with this kind of conflicted relationship that we're going to be spending most of this album lyrically talking about. 
They're great lyrics, and personally, while I like State of Grace a lot, it's a great song. It's uh, against such tough competition that that's pretty much the only knock against it. It's in such a good track list. There are a lot of all-time classics here, and State of Grace, in comparison, falls slightly short. Still, as an intro track should, it gets us introduced to the sound and style of the record in a very well-conveyed song. It's a it's a great cut. It's It's good to get opening considering you know we have a lot of different tones both sonically and lyrically and opening red with a happier upbeat it, it's got you know a lot of acoustic stuff in it but it, it is still a pretty solid pop country tune it, it gets you going well into the record if you're not opening on a downer you're opening on an upper the downers will come and they will come in droves in a 10 minute version but uh, regardless, I think State of Grace is a good opening number for the record. So, if I had to pick a most improved award for Taylor's version of Red, the honor would probably go to the title track. The steel-sounding guitars open Red, the steady bass drum drives this country-esque rocker. I love the harmony work that the bass guitar provides and the power of the electric guitar on this thing. There's some actual, like, distortion on that thing taylor's stuttered singing of the word red uh on the chorus is a dramatic improvement over the 2012 version that sounded so dated when i listened to that and it it flows perfectly fine here uh, the guitars keep ramping up into the second verse with some great embellishments and the additional in the addition of powerful horns we're going to see that actually Pretty decent bit over the course of this record, horns and strings being added into certain sections of the uh, album where you maybe not expect them on like a country record or something like that. I also enjoy the guitar solo that's in here. There's a few of these in the record, there's a few guitar solos, and I actually think they all go over pretty well. They're not like super complicated, but they're simple and they get the job done. Sonically, this is an extremely well-put-together song, every bit crafted extremely deliberately. Lyrically, Taylor's style for Red really shines through on this song. Loving him as Red is the main line repeated through the chorus. Okay, so what exactly does that mean? That doesn't really mean a whole lot. That's what Taylor spends the rest of the song telling us, mostly through statements like, X him was like Y saying like loving him was like driving a new maserati down dead end street or attributing feelings in relationships to colors that we already know they talk about like they use the she uses the term blue and gray colors that already have very like clear connotations in relationships and not saying that red doesn't but it's you know it's a little more vague the amount of vivid imagery that Taylor gives in this song and throughout this whole record is great. I mentioned earlier, you know, loving him was like driving a new Maserati down a dead end street or forgetting him is like trying to know someone you never met. They're all really smart lines and Taylor does a great job of using these blank is like blank statements and other things we already know, tethering the knowledge of the listener to really like explain what this statement loving him is red means and if you know if you had to sum up this whole album with one lyric it would be loving him is red red 
being the title of the album, also, you know, saying loving him is red encapsulates the whole album. And there's so many complex emotions that it makes sense that she says it like that because you can't sum up what she's really feeling in one word and by giving all these specific examples and you can think of the specific examples like the songs on the record you paint an overall bigger picture that winds up becoming quite clear and that's kind of the whole purpose of red as a record most of these songs are here to give us pieces of the picture of what taylor's dealing with emotionally so this as that really kind of is a song form encapsulating what the entire record means and by that it's a perfect title track it encapsulates what the whole album's going for and i think for that that's really smart and that's a really good attention to detail and sequencing and choosing that as your title because there are certain album titles that mean what they say on the tin but the way that Taylor uses Red as a concept through this song and a little bit through the album. We don't get it a whole lot, but there's occasional mentions of it. I think it's really, really smart. That and just the groove of this track, the actual like really good instrumentals make this a clear highlight on the record where a lot of the dated delivery and production made it... A kind of lower track for me on the original so seeing how she improved this so well is really impressive and it lets the kind of smarter moments of the track and the kind of lyrical symbolic elements of the whole thing shine through i think in a way that is just more effective to the whole structure of the record a more low-key groove opens Treacherous, the next song. The simple claps and acoustic guitar chords allow Taylor's singing to really take center stage and to focus on the lyrics. Treacherous describes an extremely volatile and whirlwind relationship. It's like this is what we've been talking about for pretty much this whole album, and we will definitely talk about it more. Now, it's not a super original song topic, but Taylor's pen once again executes this better than most. There's some great lines, forever going with the flow, but your friction, and I can't decide if it's a choice getting swept away. I hear the sound of my own voice asking you to stay. The great lines let Taylor highlight, specifically in this song, the loss of agency that love causes you and how it makes you do irrational things against your own better judgment. Despite, you know, it may be not being what's best. Once the first chorus ends and the instruments keep building and layering and layering and layering until we reach the pretty explosive final section. Treacherous is a good song. It's another very catchy pop country meld. It's, it's pretty great. And that build that I mentioned just a few seconds ago is something that you, we see a lot on Red. It's very common for Taylor to start with like vocals, acoustic guitar, maybe drums, and then you start adding in like an electric guitar, a bass, a horn or a violin, more background vocals. The, the build is something that this record executes very well, if not very often. I Knew You Were Trouble is a song that's interesting to me because considering how long Taylor Swift has been par part of the pop culture landscape, 
it'd be hard for me to pinpoint the actual first song I heard from her, but if I had to guess, I'd assume it's I Knew You Were Trouble. Taylor's version opens with those instantly recognizable electric guitar tones, and they feel more natural and full in this new version. All the instruments throughout the whole record feel more natural on this version. Maybe that's just the updated production speaking, maybe that's better mixing, or maybe that is genuine, like more genuine instruments being played. And it's another song that, like I mentioned before, is big on the build-up. It starts with the guitar, we have the bass, and the drums. Still, the percussive nature of every line, the guitar line, the bass line, and then the drums, keep there being keeps a consistent drive to the song, regardless of how many instruments are actually being played at once. Once the chorus arrives, we get a tasteful recreation of the 2020, 2012 original. The synth chords and distortion on the voice are all here, and they're played and mixed in a way that melds very well with the organic-sounding instruments. Those pop elements are meeting those country elements, and it's melding in a way that it did that is much better than the way it did on the original. It feels less jarring. It's a real testament to Taylor Seal as a producer, which is on full display in this record. The background singing is also really great here, and there's a lot of emotion per- put into this performance. Lyrically, I Knew You Were Trouble is kind of like Treacherous. It's a bad it's a bad boy relationship that Taylor should have known better than to trust, but she didn't. The song is a giant pop hit Taylor, for Taylor, which is pretty clear in the songwriting craft. It's one of the catchiest hooks. It, it builds and acts and feels like a pop song. Unfortunately, the lyrics aren't as pointed this time around. That's not to say they're bad, but there's just less detail than Taylor has and will give us on the rest of the record. Even at the time of me being like, like eight or whatever I would have been when this record came out, who wasn't allowed to listen, like girly stuff and didn't let myself like things I thought were girly, I Knew You Were Trouble was a song I, I secretly did enjoy. Now in 2021, Taylor's version is pretty much a strict improvement, and I love it all over again. Coming back down from the pop heights to a more acoustic song, fan favorite All Too Well is up next. Once again, the song is a building track. You'd think I'd get sick of that structure by now or through the rest of the album, but I'm, I'm really not. The distorted gar- guitars that come in on the chorus are incredible, and the thumping bass line is awesome. Every, every part from the chorus to the verses to the bridges are instantly memorable. While all of this is great, All Too Well is one of my favorite songs on the album simply because of how pointed the song is lyrically. Once again, it's a simple tale of heartbreak and love lost knowing something all too well knowing these memories all too well it's a it's a pretty simple concept but taylor makes it work with brutally personal examples she puts the intimate details of certain little things in here the most famous being you know how she gave him his scarf and he still has it in his drawer to the day or how his mom was telling her about him playing on the t-ball team when he was younger or how he almost ran the red light because he was looking in awe at her those real details is what makes this song feel real when taylor is talking about her heartbreak 
it feels real because she's giving you these real life moments where you can picture her and connect to. And I think that's important because there's that line I've talked about before in episodes past, I'm sure, about how you got to straddle the line of being too overly vague so that everybody can relate to it or being too personal to where nobody cares. Taylor, through all of Red, is towing that line perfectly. And I think All Too Well is one of the best examples of that. Taylor's emotional singing on this song also provides like a perfect, like it conveys her feelings perfectly. It's one of the best songs on the record. And with the addition of a 10-minute version at the very end of this thing, we're not even done talking about it yet. 22 is another one of those Taylor Swift songs that was a giant hit back when the record was released. The song is more of a country kick on the acoustic guitar than is normal for maybe a more pop-centric Taylor Swift song. There's a lot of 2012-isms in 22, and in my improvement, in my opinion, even with Taylor's improvements, they can't fully save how dated this song is. The chorus is still catchy, and it Taylor does a good job at conveying her fun and carefree attitude for the first time on Red. Lyrically, we face some of the same problems as I knew you were trouble, but it's a little worse here. There's some great lines at the beginning, but for the most part, everything is just kind of whatever. To me, this song doesn't really hit the highs that I knew you were trouble does, or that a lot of the other B-sides on this record do so for that reason i get why 22 was a hit it's easy to sing at parties it's very danceable it's very instantly memorable but for me it's still a song that i can't really fully grasp and is one that just kind of you know everybody knows it because it sticks out in the track list because you've all heard the song before but it's just kind of a decent pop song so for that reason it feels a little weird here. I, I like what Taylor's done to this new version. I like it better than the original. And there's definitely an effort put in to make it fit with the record. And I don't think it like is super jarring. But still, at the end of the day, like lyrically, it's not one of the best moments on the record. So, that's my take on 22. Uh, continuing up this little pattern we've been going with. Pop song, ballad, pop song, ballad. The more country song, I Almost Do, follows up 22. There's these classic twangy acoustic guitars and strumming. I Almost Do lyrically gives us another angle to this relationship. It's something that, especially towards the end of this record, Taylor really gets into. We kind of have a general picture from the first few songs of what this relationship is like. It's here, it's there, they're breaking up, they're getting back together. It's a whirlwind, it's all chaotic, he's kind of gaslighting her, like, it's just kind of this big old messy thing. There's some genuine love in there, and that's the only thing holding together this big, messy, dramatic relationship. We all know that at this point in the record. So what Taylor does for the rest of it, something Taylor never talks about something twice. But she'll pick something and there'll be a twist. There's something different every time that gives us just a little bit more perspective. And as I said when I was talking about the title track, does a little bit more to paint the bigger picture of what Red is about and 
what is driving Taylor's emotions. Because at the end of the day, Red is essentially a breakup album in a lot of ways. And we've talked about a lot of breakup albums this year, um, namely Olivia Rodrigo Sour. But the way that Taylor does this, like, pick a point, do a little twist on it. Pick a point, do a little twist on it to make a bigger whole is a unique way of doing and I think really works for her. So for this, Taylor's post-breakup. It's basically the struggles of wanting someone so desperately after the breakup. When you get broken up with and you're still madly in love with them because like everybody who's been in a breakup knows that like you don't just like poof okay now all feelings are gone that's not how that works no matter how messy the breakup is most times that's just not how it works and taylor talks about the struggles that come with that how every time she resists calling him she's able to not call him and resist but every time she doesn't call him she almost does it's a moment of weakness for Taylor post-breakup that feels very genuine. You know, people approach breakup songs a lot of different ways. There's the I want you back songs. There's the, you know, oh, I'm over it. I'm too good for them. This kind of is in the middle. She can tell herself to not call him, but it's always there in the back of his mind or back of her mind to do it. So for that reason, it feels very unique. You know, it doesn't really fall into the cliches the way that a lot of other songs, especially songs on what would become pop records, because this is kind of a pop record, do. So, for that reason, I Almost Do is a very interesting song and does a good job of being a piece in the larger puzzle of Red. Continuing our trend, if you've been following, we got another pop song. Uh, we Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together is a song that thrives on the personality and delivery that Taylor gives. The way that Taylor delivers that spoken word interlude and other similar lines shows the drama and the attitude of the situation. Lyrically, it's a song that, it, it's what it says on the tin. While the message is good... It's pretty heavy whiplash standing the stay uh sandwiching this between two lovesick numbers like I almost do and stay stay stay. I was talking about the spectrum of like oh I need him so bad and I don't care about him. This is the I don't care about him song. It's very upbeat. It's very confident in its independence which feels very strange especially paired against the track that comes next. But regardless, I think it still works considering, you know, this album is not supposed to make sense. Uh, the way that Taylor talks about this relationship and how much they break up and fight even in this specific song. It's, it feels like maybe this is just me like overanalyzing, but like I feel like putting We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together next to a song like Stay 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 is like supposed to be kind of emblematic of like how taylor could probably say that one day and then say stay 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 the next day because of just how like weird this whole relationship is i don't really know how to describe it and that that might just be like me stretching for it it might just be kind of weird sequencing which you know is definitely something that a lot of albums do 
and people have you know record execs have their things with where they need to put their singles so this might just be a strategic single placement but anyways off of that tangent um a lot of what I say sonically about 22 applies here. It's extremely catchy, and I love the sound of the bass in particular in here. Maybe that's just some bass bias because I play bass, but oh well. Unfortunately, this song, I think, lacks the punch of 22 or I Knew You Were Trouble. And here, there's some pretty heavy 2012-isms, like the heavy use of the electronics. It's a pretty good song, but in a lot of ways, I think the other singles falter it does it well it does as well i keep comparing this song to 22 and i knew you were trouble because they're the most obviously pop singles these songs on the core record are the ones that are most emblematic of what taylor's going to do in the future on stuff like 1989 reputation and lover where those are like full pop albums this she's still hanging on to a lot of those country roots that we've seen in like speak now or uh, fearless or the debut so once again this is a transition point so we are at ever ever getting back together and a lot of the big radio singles off of this show kind of the look ahead so i get why they're here on this and once again as i mentioned with some of those taylor does a good job still with the taylor's version to make those blend with the sound of the album in a way that doesn't betray the originals uh, it's not a bad song, once again, but it's just not up to the higher standards I have for what we've already seen and what we're going to see on Red. The next track, Stay, 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 opens with an instrumental that sounds like one of those royalty-free ukulele songs that YouTubers use to avoid getting copyright claimed. Um, I don't know if that's an insult. It sounds fine, but I can't get that out of my head. And the whole time I'm listening to it, I just think of those, like, stupid little ukulele. You know exactly which ones I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, first thing that comes to mind about Stay, Stay, Stay. Uh, it's, Taylor's singing style is very different here. It feels a lot closer to her country roots on this. Uh, just kind of the timbre of her voice. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's a pretty welcome change of pace. You know, not that her singing on the rest of the record is bad. It's it's very certainly very good, but you know, change of pace is always welcome. Taylor's lyrics on the verses are also pretty solid. The peppy instrumental perfectly complements the lyrics of this relationship. Taylor is just genuinely loves being in despite their fighting. It's really wholesome and sweet in a kind of weird way because it's wholesome talking about like how she wants him to stay and all these good things about their relationship but there's this weird underpinning of like it's very clear through this song they always fights like all the time and that might not be so healthy taylor so it's like you want her to be happy because she seems really happy when it's going well but when it's not it's not and it's like like it is a very upbeat and peppy song and if you listen to it on its own it will probably make you feel that way but personally listening to it i was like i get i i get that this is supposed to be a peppy and happy song but with the context of the rest of the album it just makes me worried that she's gonna get her heart dropped on the floor which you know she does but Anyways, um, it does, you know, a really good job regardless of capturing those genuine happy moments that can be found even in tumultuous relationships 
which I think is an important angle to cover. Once again, you know, we get a new angle, a new piece of the puzzle, and they're not all bad. It's not just like 16 songs of the 16 different ways this guy sucks. There's some moments where she shows that genuine love and those genuine things she loved, which, once again, I think makes the heartbreak all the more tragic when you have this full picture of the great times and then the bad times and seeing what could have been or what should have been in her eyes and then what happened. And in that way, it's pretty sad. Dark piano chords underpin the last time, presenting a pretty dramatic instrumental contrast from the last few songs. There's a lot of galleon strings on this thing, and there's that classic marching band sounding snare, kind of thinking about like the end of like Welcome to the Black Parade. There's a pretty epic violin solo towards the end that really helps the track explode. I'm not sure if it's a violin or a guitar, but it sounds like a violin, so I hope I didn't get that wrong. Uh, all of these serve to underpin the story of heartbreak told by Taylor and our first featured artist of the record, Gary Lightbody. The last, the last Time gives us lyrically another one of the best stories on the record. We see the male perspective from Gary and the woman's from Taylor. Essentially, like we've seen before, the relationship is off and on, and it's right now in a very, very tumultuous place. The man shows back up at Taylor's house to beg for another chance. Gary does a pretty decent job of conveying this emotion. There's a lot of emphasis, once again, I mentioned a few songs ago on the irrationality of love. This whole thing feels against my better judgment about how when he looks at Taylor, everything just kind of goes away and it's all going to be okay. But when Taylor's verse comes around, the irrationality theme kind of also becomes clear taylor sees his apology and she's been through this song and dance a million times and she hates it she's seen him apologize and then leave again and again and again and yet in a way she's still part of her in the back of her head wants him back and she can't control the fact that she loves him and she hates herself for that because she knows it's going to end bad again these lyrics perfectly complement the dramatic and kind of cinematic instrumental i feel like i'm not supposed to be happy with the fact that taylor and her boyfriend might be getting back together they talk about you know this is the last time i'm asking you this it's like um is it gonna be the last time did you say it was the last time the last time you did it like that's kind of the whole vibe i get off this track and it's it's a it's it's one of those that once again like the last song kind of makes me feel kind of makes me feel for Taylor in a way, and just the whole messiness of the situation, the way that Taylor structures the lyrics to show us both sides of this. I mean, obviously, you know, we didn't like get Jake Gyllenhaal's like actual. He didn't write this verse, so maybe his the male perspective is not like super accurate, but. The way that Taylor tells this story makes sense and it feels very true to life. I mean, obviously, Taylor lived through this. And by doing that, like, she gives us this really good, genuine picture of what's going on. And it's another standout moment where she really gets to display those skills, both musically and lyrically. A thudding drum adds a quicker pace to the next track, Holy Ground. I really like the acoustic guitar passage that plays as most of the instrumentals drop out for the pre-chorus. The drive of the track picks up with the addition of an electric guitar giving the track a pretty upbeat and exciting feeling. Lyrically is as common with Red 
we get another dramatic shift. Taylor is once again fondly reminiscing on her old relationship and how everywhere they stood was holy ground. It's a song about reminiscing, but because of the phrasing of the music, it doesn't come across as sad, something like All Too Well did. More just fondly remembering what they had. That is until we get to the final section where Taylor kind of does mention that she wants him back. There's a little bit of that longing still in there. Once again, reflection on good times is something that we've seen and read, but there's always something Taylor introduces to make it a little bit different. And the way she talks on holy ground feels unlike anything we've seen on the record and once again kind of gives us more perspective on these happy times in the relationship and just kind of how she's feeling in a different stage. So it's a pretty decent song. We get another soft acoustic ballad on sad, beautiful, tragic. I love the simple fingered pick guitar passage. I don't know why that thing gets stuck in my head, but it, it really does. Uh, the song is the yin to the previous song's yang, in my opinion. It's the black to the white, kind of the other side of the coin. This is the most tragic reflection, and this is a tragic reflection, kind of like, like I mentioned, like All Too Well is. The song really highlights the wrongs of Taylor's relationship and how this guy never really seemed to care about her and only fill her head with empty promises that he'd never actually make good on. The instrumental structure is also really great here. I love the addition of strings. I love the bass here and the back ends. They have some vocal effects that really give weight to some of the particularly devastating lines. The song is sad, beautiful, and tragic, and for that it serves its purpose very well as kind of a darker reflection on kind of what led all of this to fall apart. Another more peppy song complements the biggest lyrical shift. The lucky one is about fame and the pain that comes with it. While it's not an original lyrical topic, and once again Taylor does it better than most, it contrasts most of what we've already seen on red this is this is very different we've mostly pretty much just been talking about this relationship this is a little bit different but considering taylor's whole relationship with fame it's not that surprising to see it here and she still pulls it off well so it's not like it really drags the record down she contrasts what people tell you as you're famous what you're being told you know that you're the lucky one versus the actual reality of it in the third verse the narrator changes. The original test subject of Taylor Swift's song has now run off away from home to find some peace, quiet, and remoteness after being famous. Taylor now is the one in the spotlight dealing with the consequences of fame. As soon as she realizes the actual truth of the fame and the chorus flips to apply to the original speaker that they're the lucky ones for running away, Taylor kind of brings the whole story full circle. Taylor never actually confirmed who the song's really about, the biggest rumors being Kim Wilde and Joni Mitchell. Uh, but the lucky one it has a great and instantly catchy chorus with some great verses. As much as I love the breakup narrative of Red, I don't mind this detour, and it doesn't feel jarring and is also just a pretty damn good song i like you know once again we still get some great storytelling moments with the contrast of what they tell you and what you actually are experiencing and that again sets it apart from the thousands of thousands of fame and dealing with celebrity life i, I mean taylor's written her share 
everybody's written their share. So this one stands out a good bit. And for that, I, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Everything Has Changed features our next guest. This time, it's Ed Sheeran. This song has a bombastic acoustic instrumental, something that makes sense for the collaboration between these two artists. It fits both their styles pretty well. It's kind of just a shame that Taylor is singing Ed under the table. The mixing of their vocals just doesn't really work. It still feels like two people are trying to like sing over each other, or just it just doesn't work. That might just be a product of me not really being particularly fond of Ed Sheeran, but this is not the last time we're going to see him on Red, and I think he does it better the next time we show up, so I don't know what it was about this, but it just doesn't work for me. Anyways, lyrically, everything has changed as a song about finding a new love for the first time. Once again, I didn't really expect that from Red, but still, it fits well enough. There's a few good lines, and the chorus's catchiness is something that's really aided well by the dramatic instrument. It's not a highlight in terms of writing guests, instrumentals, or whatever, but we've already seen better than this. But once again, it's a decent song nonetheless. Nothing too crazy. Starlight is a more upbeat rocker, even featuring another guitar solo, because uh, you know I love those, because I'm a rock purist. Uh, the lyric themes and toe-tapping rhythm section make this a very danceable country pop tune. It's another really solid song. Starlight is another song reflecting on past love, but once again with a twist. The, la the line, I met Bobby on the boardwalk in the summer of 45, clearly illustrates that this song is not about Taylor herself. According to Swift, the song is about Ethel and Bobby Kennedy, you know, the Kennedy family. She was inspired by a picture of the two 17-year-olds dancing together. Taylor's hopeful and exciting singing makes this a relationship that actually gets a happy ending in Red. So she was inspired by this picture and she told her kind of interpretation of their story based on that one picture. And they did wind up getting married and having kids together and all that good stuff. So Taylor, in a way, I feel like if you want to tie this back to the greater picture of Red, it's kind of giving her like what she actually wants. Like this is what she wishes she would have had, but that's not what she got. But regardless, her really cute storytelling makes you really like these two. It's really sweet and wholesome, and her storytelling skills are very good, and it's good to see it outside of a self-centered context. She's not just good at telling you about herself, she's good at telling you about other people too, and making these very relatable situations in specific lyrics that's kind of, I've been kind of harping on it the whole review, but that's like what Taylor's really good at is taking these concepts or these ideas and boiling them down and giving specific situations that make it easy for anybody who has never experienced this to grasp onto it and understand and feel like you're there with whoever she's talking about. It's once again another really good song. And next up we get the final original track begin again and begin again is a great closer because begin again brings all the themes of red full circle taylor decides to end the record on an optimistic note taylor as we 
you know, have previously talked about for however long I've been recording, has been broken and destroyed by her ex. Now she has finally decided to go on another date, and this guy's treating her the way she wants. She makes, you know, he makes her feel safe and appreciated in ways that her toxic ex didn't. The soft violins and guitars add a lot to this hopeful tone. It's really interesting because technically while we're moving on, this is that's what the song's about, we're still getting another piece of that red puzzle in a way that we're seeing Taylor talk about just these little things this guy's doing, pulling out her chair for her, you know, laughing at her jokes, or how she feels free enough to wear high heels when her ex never liked them. All these things that she's just happy to do because her ex didn't like them or they that he made her feel restricted in that way. And it simultaneously characterizes this new hopeful relationship that Taylor's in. I don't know if she's still with this guy. I, 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 I'm a music critic. I don't know about Taylor's personal life. But the way that she uses this hopeful tone kind of gives a record an actual happy ending because there's a lot of downers on this thing and this re- this record in a sense is all about a toxic relationship but seeing that after all that after all these things even when he still lingers in the back of her mind because she mentioned even on this song she she almost mentioned him but she didn't even when all those things linger in the back of her mind she's able to move on and find something that makes her happy again and that Even though there was a toxic past, she can hopefully move on and make a better future. And, like, learning to appreciate the small things about people. And it's a really heartwarming message. And it makes you really happy for Taylor, kind of as an ending to the record. It feels very full circle. We've started in a place of heartbreak and all this and we've started to come full circle into where Taylor is once again healing herself but of course that's not actually the end of it because this is Taylor's version from 2021 and we still have another 14 tracks of course we're gonna get into all of the extra content that is not on the original right after this break welcome back Time to get into the rest of Red, Taylor's version. Because, you know, it's not just B-sides from here. We got a lot of really important and interesting stuff here. So let's just get started. Low droning strings start the moment I knew. The next track. The incorporation of strings has been something that Taylor's been toying with a bit on Red so far. But it's something that she really embraces on this track. It feels like something out of a movie trailer. I do like the strings and the gigantic hook. In addition of more background vocals that keep the track going higher and higher. I'm a little torn on if the musical tone fits what's actually going on in the lyrics. We are again focusing on Taylor's relationship and a specific moment. Specifically, a birthday party he failed to arrive to, even though he promised. Even though it's just one moment, it's it's one thing, it was the moment that Taylor knew it was going to be all over. It's an interesting story and compelling even over an hour into Red. It's a pretty good song and, you know, lyrically it's interesting that this is not on the main album considering this is like, this feels like a Volta, the turn, right? 
this is the moment she knew that that you know that's the title of the song the moment that she knew that it was not going to be okay and you know i like all these little details she throws in about it but you know i mean not through showing up to your girlfriend's birthday party after being invited like if you don't have a good excuse it's a a bad move it's a bad move so it's interesting to kind of see this once again (sighs) take a shot uh put a bigger piece in the puzzle that is red in this relationship i i I'm gonna. I'm, I sound like a broken record. I most times sound like a broken record because even though I script these things, I always repeat myself. But I'm gonna sound like even by even more of a broken record by the time we get to the end of this. Come back, be here. It's the next song up. It's a up tempo rocker, uh, and it's something that feels like it's very home and red. It's also characteristic of the record. We get another th- song with a theme that's been covered. It's longing for someone. But once again, Taylor tells this story in a different way. This time it's about her lover who I don't know if this is the same relationship. I'm going to assume it is because it's about a lover who is constantly traveling far away from her. Jake Gyllenhaal was a movie actor. So, you know, it makes sense that this could be about him. You know, this, once again, is a song about longing. It's about wanting someone back, but it's not, like, in a negative way or, like, a breakup kind of way. It's a longing because of how much she loves him. She feels selfish for wanting him home, but she just wants him back because she just loves him that much. It's a good track. It's maybe not a highlight, but it's definitely fun. Taylor dives really hard into her electric pop sound. Again, a good girl at home. It's got an up... It's got a thumping beat filled with catchy hooks all over it. Take... Taylor takes another really interesting lyrical detour on this. The song is about some dude. I don't know who said dude is. He's trying to hit on her, you know, as random dudes do i don't know i'm not old enough to go clubbing but apparently everyone knows he has a girlfriend at home and he's basically hitting on our speaker which i'm assuming is taylor and she's essentially blowing off like dude you literally have a girl at home stop trying to hit on me stop trying to cheat on your girlfriend go home and love your girlfriend which in his culture of music that's always like, I stole your man or I stole your girl. It's reflecting, it's refreshing to see our speaker here be a good human being and put this douche in his place. Tell him to respect his relationship. Both lyrically and sonically, it's a big departure from what's going on on Red. And I see why it isn't on the main record, but it's definitely something I like and something that is interesting and i'm glad we hear i've just i feel like once again this is kind of it's kind of a simple concept but i've never heard songs of like dude comes up to you at the club and you're like nah bro go home love your girlfriend like that that's it's kind of funny to me uh especially like i would be really funny if like some like a-list rapper did that especially like in hip-hop where there's a lot of steal your girl talk if there was like just we just normalized like a bunch of songs about like telling your p telling your uh telling telling the girls or the guys at the club or whomever to uh go home and spend time with their significant other that they have committed a long-term uh monogamous relationship with so god bless uh i'm assuming it's taylor that we're singing from the perspective of but god bless uh for uh not acting for uh 
for uh, putting this dude in his place. Uh, next up is the first of two. I alluded to our 10-minute all-too-well, and we're going to get that in time. But we have uh, the second song that is a repeat of one from the original record. This is State of Grace. It's the acoustic version. Most of what I have to say about State of Grace can be applied to this version. Still, I think it's a bit of an improvement on that original. The more minimalist instrumental, I think, better suits the lyrical theme. And the way the guitar varies from strumming to accompanying the melody line is really well done. The big drums in the back also feel great. Despite the instruments not building, Taylor does a lot of legwork with her voice to get across the highs and lows of the song. By stripping back the production, we also get more focus on the lyrics, which I still think are extremely strong here. The production also helps these lyrics hit a lot harder. I like both versions of the tra track, but... I get why this is the way it is and the order is the way it is because with a record a lot of people like to start their records with the punch think something like the wall or the rise and fall of ziggy stardust where it's these big dramatic grandiose openings a lot of people like to start the records with a bang to get the reader in putting a more minimalist acoustic track as your first song especially when it doesn't like lead into a whole lot is something that i especially on a record that they were probably trying to make as big as red considering how taylor is like at this point in her career really beginning to start to go up it was probably pretty important that they open the record with something if not a single something that could get the listener interested so i get why an acoustic version of state of grace wasn't put on the original record, but I think it's very good to have it here. Next up is Ronan. Ronan, Ronan. Uh, however, I'm just going to say Ronan. Uh, Ronan is a charity single that Taylor Swift wrote about a boy named Ronan. It's, he is the victim of childhood cancer from the perspective of his mother. This song is absolutely beautiful and absolutely devastating i mean this thing hits like a semi-truck it is truly stunning the deep emotion that taylor is able to pull off in this song taylor perfectly captures the pain of a mother who lost her child to cancer a lot because you know the mom i believe had a hand in writing some of this or giving ideas for taylor considering a lot of these details once again as we've talked about with intimate details with taylor swift it's one thing when you include a lot of intimate details with a breakup it's another thing to be including intimate details like childhood toys and plastic dinosaurs on a song about a, a kid whose life was unfortunately taken and the mother who lost her son that's a whole nother level of brutal and incredibly hard-wrecking that not even the rest of kind of the more mellow cuts or the somber cuts on this record could even hit. Even the very scripted breath that Taylor takes right before the final chorus, I typically write off as cheesy, but it's, it's perfect. It's a song that almost had me in tears. Uh, in a previous episode, I talked about Demons by Imagine Dragons. It was one of the Nightcore episodes. Uh, and there's also an extremely tragic story behind that. 
And my biggest issue with that song was how Imagine Dragons overgeneralized the lyrics to just be about demons in general, where I think, in my opinion, the better approach to be with the song is to make it more personal, but also still have it connect in a way. Because in, in, especially with really, like, touching personal stories like this you don't have to generalize it to make people care about it if it's a breakup that's one thing but with such a pathos heavy situation like this and such a tragic situation like this people are gonna want to hear about it regardless of whether like you put in these giant overgeneralized statements for everybody to relate to and i think imagine dragons is a bit of that taylor handles it the way i wish they would have handled it it's something that is just beautifully real and raw, and it hurts. But for that reason, I think it's incredible. I, I can't really describe everything about it. It's pretty much the moment that got me closest to tears, definitely got me in tears a little bit, on the record. And even, you know, as a fan of Taylor's work and somebody who's been complimenting her pen game all throughout this album, and I, I definitely have a lot of good things to say about it in a lot of the other albums I've listened to, this still came off as a surprise of how I think she was able to handle this so well. So it moved me in a really meaningful way. So Ronan is incredible. It's an incredible song. It's one of the best moments i once again i see why it's not on the record because it has nothing to do with anything that red is about but i think if you got to pick one from the vault song to listen to this is the one uh i there's a lot of other great from the vault songs that deserve your attention but this one in particular is really really moving so following that up, we get Better Man. It's another country tin song in red fashion. She's singing about her toxic relationship with her ex. Once again, say it with me, she puts a spin on it. She talks about how pretty much everything would have been better if her ex was a better man. And she wishes that it would have been better, but it's not. It's kind of this whole longing in a way that we've talked about before, but it's mostly longing in the way of like, man, I wish you didn't suck. Which is is funny. But it's a pretty solid tune. It, it gives us a little bit of a piece. It's a bit of a smaller piece. It doesn't add a whole lot of context. But once again, you see how this would have fit on the greater context of Red. But once again, it's not a bad track. There's not, I don't think there's any bad tracks. Spoiler alert, 20, 22 tracks in. I don't think there's a bad track on this album. There's a few that fall short in comparison but everything on here I think is good. And Better Man is another one I, I just think is good. It's not great. I'm, I'm fine to see it on the cutting, cutting room floor of the main record. But, you know. Nothing New is another low-key acoustic guitar-driven ballad. Lyrically, however, I think it's one of the strongest cuts on the back half of the record. I really like the first verse and how it's filled with these double standards of girls growing up it's like you praise the ones who fly high but then you shoot them down because they're too successful and then when they fall to the ground and they hit their face and after you took them down you say oh man she's been through it like you didn't cause it or like the whole idea 
the whole idea of the song of being nothing new who's gonna care when i'm nothing new in terms of fame in terms of success like taylor you know contemplating who's gonna care about my music when i'm not new who's not gonna care when i'm not blowing up same thing goes with now her relationship are you gonna care about me when i'm nothing new when that honeymoon quote-unquote phase wears off do you care are you going to care it's a question that I feel like a lot of people in relationships have genuinely thought about. And it's it's scary. Because you don't really know. And I really, I really enjoy that. Uh, the chorus also gives us a pretty vivid image of a drunk and depressed woman pondering all these thoughts when Taylor's talking about having too many drinks. You can see her alone in her room. Kind of drunk worrying her heart out about whether her fame and her relationship of all this will stay when she's nothing new and once again we get another feature on this i think it's pretty much one of the best on the record it's phoebe bridgers and she does a great job on her feature as well when i talked about how ed and taylor didn't really match up in singing styles i think phoebe does absolutely it's a great great number one of definitely the better songs on the back half of this record some interesting production choices are made uh and they're the most standout element of babe the strong clapping production the finger the fingered guitar passage and the trumpet accompanying line the lyrics here if about the same relationship do give us a bit of a deeper context babe is explicitly about cheating something that hasn't been addressed this plainly so it's worth noting. I don't know if this is about the same thing. I probably could have looked it up, but Genius uh, was not loading well for me today. So if it is about the same relationship, I think that's definitely good that we got an actual direction of like one of the major things he did. We, we get some kind of general things, especially in All Too Well, which is a song with such strong lyrics that I wasn't able to pick out everything. But... In a lot of these songs, we do get kind of certain things about, like, what Taylor specifically has problems with her ex doing, what specifically he did wrong. If Babe is about the same relationship and you can add something like cheating to that pile, that's pretty dramatic. So, that's definitely worth taking a note of. Message in a Bottle, and is the next song and the most accurate thing i can say about message in a bottle is that it would feel right at home on carly ray jepson's emotion it's got these bouncy upbeat synth and these driving percussions with a heavy electronic influence max martin has a songwriting credit on this thing and man you can tell considering he's a major force behind 1989 message in a bottle feels like something once again that is looking ahead especially with all the other singles there's a few electronic cuts on here there's just some of these moments where it does really feel like you can see taylor looking ahead at the future of her giant pop starness and this is the beginning of that the explosion of songs like 22 uh we are never ever getting back together and i knew you were trouble are a giant part of this and you can see her looking ahead at the sounds and styles that are going to dominate the next phase of her career. Is that for better and worse? That's up to interpretation of the listener. 
I have not done all my due diligence to go through that leg of her career. Uh, and I'm sure, considering how many albums she has to remaster, we will talk about that in due time. Um, so, it's a fun track, personally. It's very different, but it's just not really something... Like, lyrically, Message in a Bottle is kind of what it says on the tin. It's about a message in a bottle trying to reach someone it's probably about the same situation we've been talking about for the however hour and whatever i've been recording this podcast for but in this kind of giant giant record it doesn't stand out as much lyrically and the sound that mostly stands out the style is something that i think can either go hit or miss for people so, I personally am kind of middle of the road on it, but it's definitely an interesting song as a like a timepiece to kind of look at in, in in terms of her career. I bet you think about me follows up one of the most pop songs we've heard with one of the most country, including an actual Chris Stapleton feature. Uh, all of the country staples the like banjo sounds, the acoustic guitars, the violins are all here and they're all incredible. Uh, lyrically, I think this is another great moment on the record because we get a pretty good picture of another facet of Taylor's relationship. This time we address a lot of things. First of all, we address the fact that her lover, and I mean, you could probably do the math, is way older. It's like, almost like i think he's way older than her like so that's one thing that has not been brought up so far and now we are addressing which definitely puts into a weird perspective especially when he's like any is like i believe it was late 20s and she's like 19 is a little weird i'm not gonna lie but regardless we also talk about the class differences taylor in country style fashion is talking about how country she is and contrasting this with her boyfriend, who is this bigger, high-life, high-society, actorly BS, kind of, you know, like, prim and proper, more kind of style, and how he kind of looks down on her, and how his friends would look down on her as just being, you know, some just whatever country girl. But... She says, you know, no matter how much you think you've left, I bet you still think about me because you really, you know, I really loved you and the the things you're going to get in this vapid celebrity life are not going to match that. And I think that's a really interesting sentiment. Once again, just listening, it gives us a lot more interesting details about the song and about the relationship that we really haven't addressed up until this point. And I think it's definitely good to address them here. I feel like this is a song that definitely also could have done to be on the main record, but it's not the end of the world that's not here. Uh, so I really enjoyed this song. It's definitely another one of the highlights. Next up is Forever Winter, another really good track on the album. It's another interesting cut. Taylor, once again, is really... Just showing off that pen game. Uh, it's about the ideas of kind of like 
wanting to help somebody but not being able to help somebody. Of course, it's in the context of a relationship as most of what we're talking about on Red is. But it's once again a unique angle. I don't know once again if we're talking about the same thing or a different thing. But it really is another really interesting, very relatable set of lyrics. Because uh, I think we've all been through a situation where we wished we would have known that somebody we really cared about was in pain and all that stuff. So compliment that with some really just solid strong song structure, catchy hook, all that good stuff that you expect from a Taylor Swift song especially at this point in the album, it's another pretty strong foot forward. Up next is Run. The second Ed Sheeran feature on this record goes over significantly better than the first. Uh, Run has one of the most earwormy choruses of the entire record. I mean, that's still one that is stuck in my head, like literally right now. The trading lines between Ed and Taylor this time work significantly, significantly better. Uh, and lyrically run, you know, kind of speaks to the title. It's about running away from the world with someone. And it's, you know, once again, not exactly the world's most original concept. And I'm not going to say that Taylor's spin on it is as good as stuff that we've seen earlier in the record, but it's still a relatively compelling song, especially with just some really solid melodies on it makes it another really good addition to the record and then next up we've got the very first night it's another song that really reminds me of that carly white jepson album motion i was talking about uh the very first night is an upbeat acoustic pop cut uh lyrically it's about reminiscing on that first night with someone it's sweet it's it's affectionate it's cool to once again you know see the highs of a relationship if this is the same relationship we're talking about i'm for simplicity's sake i'm gonna assume we are it's once again nice to see the highs put another piece in that puzzle especially before we get to uh the lows um on our last track but once again on the album especially this deep in this album is like two hours and change so once you get to this point on the record on very first night and with a few of these as you can tell the section of the from the vault cuts is getting probably going to be way shorter than the main record cuts that's just simply because you know most of these songs while i think a lot of them have merit and we've obviously seen a lot of great ones songs like the very first night or like run or like message in a bottle or nothing new or whatever uh a lot of these songs are very not nothing new nothing new actually has a little bit more to it uh but a lot of these songs towards the end are starting to get to the point where like you know they were cut for the for a reason and i think the the version of red the original version probably flows a little bit better as, as an album but it's just interesting to have these from the vault cuts so if one of these is your favorite song and I'm like completely skimming over it, I'm sorry. Um, but the very first night is another one. Once again, I've talked about a thousand times looking ahead at the future. It's pretty uh, clear what Taylor's doing here. But at the end of the day, considering we've had a lot of cuts like this before, it's just not one that really stands out on this absolutely massive album. So we get to then track 30, the final track. 
All Too Well's 10-minute version is pretty much what has been, like, one of the most hyped-up parts of the record. Like, I think literally when Taylor announced this record, she announced that there's a 10-minute song. And she announced it was All Too Well, which is a fan favorite. And I love the original, so it feels, you know, very emblematic of the entire record. Just kind of the entire situation. So having this giant version as the finale feels something like it's right. You know, you take Taylor's deepest like one of her best set of lyrics and you give her just a little under twice the amount of time because that's already the longest song on the record it's like five and a half minutes you make it 10 minutes and you give her more time and more things to work with on this 10 minute version of all too well you're really cooking with something um and once again Pretty much everything I said about the original All Too Well applies here. And once again, even with the new additions, it's the intimate details that send All Too Well into the stratosphere. I like the lines like where he said, where she says, he could toss me the keys, F the patriarchy. Or when Taylor is sitting there waiting for him to finally show up and her dad says it should be, it's supposed to be fun turning 21. It gives us, once again, it just keeps giving us more detail it gives us more perspective into what this relationship is like because the entirety of a lot of breakup albums are built on you being sympathetic towards the person singing it and taylor's intimate details make it feel like you're really there for her with her through all of this the length of all too well also makes to serves to make it feel like a journey it's a song of sad reflection, but there is a confidence at the end in Swift's voice as she cries that he lost the last good thing he'll ever have. It earns every single bit of those 10 minutes, both lyrically and musically, because not only does the 10 minutes give us a bloom to lyrically breathe, to flesh out, to add more details of just dogging on Jake Gyllenhaal, but... Uh, it also gives us more time to build instrumentals, to add new things, to try different instruments out. And I think all of them go over really well on this. Once again, Taylor's ear for production, for instruments and everything, her musical ear has just been incredible throughout this entire record. It's absolutely awe-inspiring. Uh, the new version fits very snugly within the original, giving us even more detail. And... You know, to it's harder considering that All Too Well is one of my favorite tracks. It's harder to be better than it. But I think this version stands up. I don't know if it, I don't think it replaces it considering that there's a vibe to the original All Too Well and there is power and succinctness that, that one has. It's a little bit harder to get through the full 10 minutes of this All Too Well. But I think if you're somebody who really loves that song, you'll love this version and it gives you more details and it's a welcome addition to the album. I don't know if it needs to replace the original or if it makes the original absolutely unlistenable, but it's just like uh, the other uh, song that we've heard already, the acoustic version of Straight of State of Grace. It's just nice to have it and it is compelling. We've seen Taylor perform this. This is pretty much like if... If a remaster album had a lead single, it would be this, because she's performed this, uh, I believe, already on one of the 
Tonight Shows or SNL or something she performed it, which I probably should have watched before recording this. But anyways, um, All Too Well is a track that has been, when I've seen people talk about this, because a lot of people I've, I've talked to have spoken about this album, it's always this track they're coming back to. And I think ending Red, Taylor's version, with this track, this big long version makes sense it doesn't end as well narratively as maybe it, the original record ends but it makes sense for the entire journey we've been on to after this entire album after 30 tracks and over two hours all too well does not explode into a climactic finale it fades into a night into the night it fades into the distance a fitting end to the song and a fitting into a record about a painful, distant memory now for Taylor. And overall, that's it. At the end of it all, what do I think about it? Well, I think it's been pretty clear over the fact that this is probably the longest podcast episode I've recorded to date. So I feel like my thoughts have so far been pretty clear, but in case you need the TLDR, Taylor's version of Red, in my opinion, is the definitive way to experience this record. Taylor's taste in new production added with her mature singing voice these songs sound better than they ever have. The core of Red is incredibly solid. Lyrics, especially, are really there. The melodies, they're all really good at the core, and it's these fine-tuned tweaks that send it just that bit higher for me. I continue to be wowed by the sheer power of Taylor's pen, and one feature of this album I really enjoy lyrically is that the way that Taylor explores different angles of her relationship through Red. I, I spoke in the past, I think I mentioned this even earlier in the review about Olivia Rodrigo's Sour and how I felt that album becomes a little repetitive in its description of her recent heartbreak. Taylor executes the same idea, but she does it better because Taylor is always giving the listener something new, something new to relate to, and it feels like you're intimately there it's a really great way of com of uh getting this narrative across to your audience and i think she balances the line as i mentioned between personal and broad vague relatability perfectly and i think it's a record that i've already seen just in my day-to-day -day life a record that has started to connect with a lot of people and for that, I mean, I don't, I don't need to tell you, you can look around and see all the social media posts that you've probably seen online of like people being like, yeah, I'm going to skip school and cry over Red Taylor's version. That, that they're funny. Those jokes are all funny and all the Jake Gyllenhaal hate and how passionate people get about that. That's all funny. But at the end of the day, it does really prove how much this like almost 10 year old record just with some tweaks and updates is having on people to this day and that speaks to the power of taylor swift as an artist there was a guy getting there was a guy who made a take on twitter and it kind of had some people divided of he said something along the lines of taylor swift is like the biggest pop star since michael jackson and some people might think that's crazy but if you look at the way that Taylor's moved, the hits she's had over the past years, whether you love her or hate her, it is hard to deny that she is one of the biggest pop stars of the modern day, of not, if not of all time. I think comparing her to Michael Jackson 
in terms of influence is something that you can really make an argument for. And I never thought I would be saying that as somebody who kind of never gave Taylor the second thought just a few years ago. But the way that she takes us from the highs and lows to every point in our relationships, her great ear for melody, singing, songwriting, the incredible way that all the instruments are played on this, even the great guest vocals that I haven't even given probably enough do. It's all really good. So on its own, even in 2012, Red is a great record, but with Taylor's improvements, once again, it just takes it to that next level. Once again, by just having Fearless followed up by Red, Taylor has proved that her formula of the Taylor's versions is a formula for success. And I have now the utmost confidence that whatever she chooses to do next, whether it be new material or probably, I'm assuming, another Taylor's version, considering how successful this one has already become, we all know those vinyl sales are going to be out the wazoo, that it's going to be good. So... This record has left me excited for the future of what Taylor Swift has to offer, and I am very, very happy with this record. And that's it for Red. Man, I I can't wait to edit this. This is going to be like a really long one. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, subscribe, leave a positive review, like, whatever, whatever your platform does. I don't know what all the platforms do. I would appreciate it. I'm not like trying to like, guilt trip you in but this this script is like over 10 pages long it's like six thousand words i have a i have a research class where the final research paper is shorter than this script and obviously there's more research that goes into that than my dumb taylor swift review but uh you know i really tried to be thorough so if this is your first episode or whatnot i i really hope you enjoyed it and i I appreciate you just giving me the time of day to have me talk to you and have this boring white dude tell you his opinions on Taylor Swift. If you like this and you want to hear more, I've got episodes on more of the biggest records of the year, including Olivia Rodrigo, Billie Eilish, Kanye West, and Lil Nas X. Now, coming up soon, uh, once again, we are we got a lot going on in the world of depths and music. I'm getting some ideas for episodes, some of my first guest episodes lined up. Uh, not sure when those are going to hit, but the the plans have been made, the plans are getting in the works, and as the year comes down, we're uh, going to start talking about just this year in music and maybe going over some of the albums uh, very briefly in a shorter format that I uh, didn't get to give the spotlight this year that they deserved, because doing one album every two weeks has not been able to cover the breadth and the depth of music that I've wanted to. So I'm very excited for what's to come so keep your ears open we got we got a lot going on in depths of music so until next time i've been nick and this has been the depths of music podcast take care have a good night or morning or whatever time you're listening to this see ya